Hey, thanks for tuning in to Daily Devotions with Pastor Eric. I hope that today's devotion will be a blessing to you. Either you're supplementing this with other devotional practices that you might incorporate into your life, or you're using this as a way to simply learn more about how to start your own daily devotions. If you have questions about anything that I cover, or you would like additional suggestions on how to include devotions into your life, please email me at ebreynolds87 at gmail.com. We're going to start off today with another prayer from the Valley of Vision. This one is called Man's Great End. Lord of all being, there is one thing that deserves my greatest care, that calls forth my ardent desires. That is, that I may answer the great end for which I am made, to glorify you who has given me my being, and to do all the good I can for my fellow men. Verily, life is not worth having if it be not improved for this noble purpose. Yet, Lord, how little is the thought of mankind. Most men seem to live for themselves without much or or any regard for thy glory or for the good of others. They earnestly desire and eagerly pursue the riches, honors, pleasures of this life. And if they supposed that wealth, greatness, merriment could make their immortal souls happy. But alas, what false delusive dreams are these? And how miserable are or long will those be that sleep in them? For all our happiness consists in loving thee and being holy as thou art holy. Oh, may I never fall into the tempers and vanities, the sensuality and folly of the present world. It is a place of inexpressible sorrow, of vast, empty nothingness. Time is a moment, a vapor, and all its enjoyments are empty bubbles, fleeting blasts of wind, from which nothing satisfactory can be derived. Give me grace always to keep in covenant with thee, and to reject as delusion a great name here or hereafter, together with all sinful pleasures or profits. Help me to know continually that there can be no true happiness, no fulfilling of thy purpose for me, apart from a life lived in and for the Son of thy love. Amen. We're going to read all of Galatians chapter 5 today. If you're just joining us and you're jumping in, uh, feel free to go back and look at some other podcasts uh, that we've started in Galatians 1 all the way uh, up to chapter 5 where we're at now. Uh, If you don't want to go back and listen to the other podcasts, you don't have to, but I would encourage you to read Galatians 1 through 4 prior to uh, following us today. Paul writes to the Galatian church in chapter 5. For freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourselves circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself crucified or circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. For we eagerly await through the Spirit, by faith, the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith, working through love. You were running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? The persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. I myself am persuaded in the Lord. You will not accept any other view, but whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. 
Now, brothers and sisters, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. I wish those who are disturbing you might also let themselves be mutilated. For you were called to be free. Brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, mortal impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, and carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things, as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Amen. So we're going to break this passage down into two sections, verses 1 through 12 and verses 13 through 26. And 1 through 12, we see we have been set free from the law by Christ. The issues that the Gentiles and many of us have with the law is that it leads to our legalism. We often look back and mock those in Scripture who came before us and fought and fell away or being easily confused. But how easy is it for us to become legalists and confused and look to the law to justify us? I am such a better person than I used to be. If only my fellow brothers in Christ were like me, then our church would be growing. If I focus on obeying these rules, then I know I will become more spiritual. I know that I have the strength to become a better Christian and follow the laws of God. These, of course, are a couple of examples of things that we often tell ourselves that just aren't true and prove the own legalism in our hearts. Friend, you and I have most likely had all of the, those thoughts. Let us repent of that sin and seek the Lord's forgiveness. We are unable to attain God's grace through our work. We are not going to be more spiritual, healthier, or happier by looking towards the law for our righteousness. Our righteousness comes from God through Christ's imputed righteousness, meaning that he has exchanged his righteousness for our sinfulness. He became sin so that we might be his righteousness. We, we were made, excuse me, he was made sin and we were made his righteousness. Why in the world then would we look to the law to justify ourselves before God? All the law does is expose God's holiness and our unrighteousness. It provides for us as followers of Jesus principles outlined by God for how we are to live our lives. But in the law, we do not find our freedom or justification, but only in Christ. S secondly, in verses 13 through 26, we see that the Spirit is who leads us 
and controls our lives. The Spirit is not some sort of spiritual influence. He is is the third person of the Trinity. He indwells us, leading us towards Christ, teaching us, convicting us of sin, and bestowing gifts upon us, and working to glorify Christ in our lives. The Spirit fulfills the law of, uh, of loving God and others in our lives. Apart from the Spirit and the work of Christ, we do not have the love of God, a divine love, or for, uh, or for God or for men in our hearts. The Spirit also works in us to overcome our fleshly desires. We have been born with a sin nature that wars with God. Then through our salvation, a new nature has been given to us. This nature continues to grow in us through the Holy Spirit as he teaches us and transforms us to hate the sin we once loved and love the righteousness of God we once hated. We see that the Holy Spirit, uh, we see that, uh, that with the Spirit several fruits would be imparted to us. The fruit are godly characteristics and are easily misrepresented. These are not works that we should strive for to achieve or a new law that we must keep. The fruits of the Spirit are a result of what we see in verse 25 and earlier in this passage. Keeping in step with the Spirit, living in the Spirit. These fruit will not be born in our lives apart from our seeking the Spirit, leaning into the Spirit, and abiding in Christ. One might say that you need to have more joy. Of course you do, but that joy is not a lasting joy, nor is it from God unless it comes to the Spirit. We can lean into the Spirit in prayer. Try taking three minutes an hour to stop what you're doing and pray. You can spend some of that time focusing your thoughts on the Lord. That isn't practical for everyone because of the nature of your work, but you could silently continue your work and seek to briefly focus on God and centering your whole being on Him. As Paul does, seek to pray without ceasing. The Spirit is always working and always present, but in certain activities He makes us more aware of Himself. We want those times. We want to live in those times, living in the Spirit. He makes himself more aware to us in in prayer, and in Bible reading, in study, in fasting. He becomes more evident. Like Paul, let's live by the Spirit. We're going to look at uh, John Calvin's little book on the Christian life. Again, if you're interested in picking this up or... Uh, looking at a PDF document uh, of the the previous uh, the book that I've been using for our prayers earlier in the devotion of the Valley of Vision, those are all going to be accessible in our show notes that you can see uh, in in this link that you probably clicked on to, to listen to this. Calvin goes on to write, We will meet many difficulties as we try to dutifully seek the God, the good of our neighbors. We won't make any headway in this regard unless we lay aside concern for ourselves. Indeed, unless we somehow lay aside our very self. For how, unless we forsake ourselves and commit ourselves wholly to others, can we bring forth those works that Paul identifies as love? Love, he says, is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not consist on its own. It is not irritable. And so on. The single command that we not consist on that we not insist on our own way with what force must we resist our own nature to pursue it 
Our very nature inclines us towards self-love. As a result, we don't easily deny ourselves or our desires in order to seek the good of others. Even less are we willing to give up our right to something and give that right to another. In order to lead us by the hand to such self-denial, Scripture warns us that whatever we have freely received from the Lord is given to us on the condition that it be used for the common good of the church. The proper use, then, of all good gifts we have received is the free and generous sharing of those gifts with others. No more certain principle nor more effective exhortation for keeping that rule is imaginable than this. Scripture teaches us that all the gifts we utilize are given to us by God, and they are given along with this law of our faith, that they be part or put to use for the good of our neighbors. But Scripture goes even further than this when it compares us in the gifts we've been given to the members of a human body. No member of the body exists to serve itself, nor does each member exist merely for its own private use. Rather, it puts its abilities to use for the other members of the body. Nor does any member of the body alone receive any advantage from itself outside of that which belongs to the entire body. Whatever, therefore, godly man is able to do, he should do it for his brothers. He should consider his own interests only insofar as he sets his mind on the general edification of the whole church. Let this, then, be our rule for kindness and benevolence. We are merely stewards of whatever gifts God has given us in order to help our neighbors. We must give an account of our stewardship, and right stewardship is that which is fueled by the rule of love. Consequently, we must not merely join zeal for the good of others with concern for our own well-being, but we must submit concern for our own well-being to the good of others. To help us better understand this law of stewardship rightly applies to whatever gifts we receive from him. God applied this law to the smallest gifts of his kindness in former times, for he commanded that the first fruits of his people produce, or produces be offered to him. In this way, God's people of old testified that it was wrong to secure any profit from their produce before it was consecrated to God. Now, if God's gifts to us are ultimately sanctified to us after our hands have offered them back to their very author, any use of those gifts that is not perfumed by such an offering will be a corrupt abuse of them. But we should, would strive in vain to increase the Lord's wealth by offering our gifts to him. Since, therefore, our kindness, as the prophet says, cannot reach him, we should practice it toward his saints, who are on earth. Thus, our charitable gifts are comparable to holy sacrifices, since they correspond to those sacrifices that were required by the law. Thanks, John Calvin. Appreciate that. We're going to close with prayer today. Father, how blessed we are to have the Spirit indwell us. We have the Spirit who leads our lives, focuses our prayers, teaches us your ways, and leads us away from temptation. Your Spirit has been at work for, in us since before we knew you. You loved us before we knew you. You loved and chose us before we ever loved you. You are majestic in order all things according to your will and to your purpose. We seek your will for our lives, Father, your mind to become ours and and your ways to slowly become our ways. What do we have to offer you other than our sorrow for our sin and wickedness? 
You have forgiven us our debts and imparted to us the image and righteousness of your Son. We praise your name, Father, glorifying your Son in our lives. You are our portion and our prize. Glorify yourself in us, O God, O God of mercy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us, and I look forward to uh, hearing from you next time. Next time, God bless. Yeah.